When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. It was a dramatic race for seven-time world champion Lewis Hamilton and Max Verstappen. But Ricardo finished in fifth, having qualified 17th on the grid. Goodman, and you're listening to the fantastic Cut to the Race podcast. Hello, my name is Don Mylander, and you're listening to the Formula Birds podcast. Hi, I'm Rosanna Tennant, and you are listening to the incredible Cut to the Race podcast. Hi, I'm Jordan King, and you're listening to the Formula Nerds podcast. Hi, I'm Crofty. You're listening to the Cut to the Race podcast. It's lights out, and away we go. Hello, and welcome to the Cut to the Race podcast. I'm Ollie. I'm back. James, thank you for covering over the last week, and also Abby. You're welcome. It's a pleasure. Glad to have helped. Sam, it's nice to see you. I haven't seen you for, what, weeks, I think? It's been a while. In fact, I don't think I've done race reviews since, what, July at some point, maybe? Yeah, the jet setter of the group. <laughs> Sam, what have you actually been doing? Um, I've been faking it till I make it. Um, I can relate. I've, basically um, was out following, well, working for Formula Nerds in the F2, F3 paddock over the triple header. And I also went to F3 postseason testing at Jerez. Do you uh, mind well. if I expose you, Sam? Go for it. Cool. You were at Spa, right? You were at the Spa F1 race, which is, which is the most beautiful event on earth. But you were in the bar getting drunk, not watching it, right? Uh, no, in my defence, <laughs> I was in a bar... In the F2 paddock, which had a direct view of Eau Rouge Radion. So I was sat in the sun on the beers watching the cars go through Eau Rouge. Well, building up Dutch courage for uh, going back to where you were staying. Yeah, <laughs> yeah um, <laughs> I wasn't staying in the nicest place. Spa, I was, it was out of the three, out of Spa, Zandvoort, and Monza. Spa was the one that I was really looking forward to. I made a special effort to get there because I was worried that it wouldn't be on the calendar next year. And it was so difficult to get to. <laughs> I'm actually quite looking forward to when it drops off the calendar now. Uh, <laughs> I've done a, a full 180 because, you know, working in motorsport journalism, uh, there's a lot of planning your own accommodation and travel. Um, so it's not as glamorous as you might think at times. <laughs> Other than drinking free beers. Uh, I paid. I paid. Oh, you paid? Oh, God, I just assumed that you were doing this properly, man. Oh. Oh, I quit. 
<laughs> no, no words. No words. We'll move on. Don't we send me back, Sam. <laughs> Let's you not dig any holes. Goods and services. Don't dig Europe holes. Yeah. <laughs> not that different. So going into this weekend, we thought maybe the championship was going to be over. Max Verstappen had this in the bag, but it's it's all been a bit weird. Talks of cost cap breaches. Um, Abby, I'm just going to throw it at you because you tend to know all the things I don't. Do you want to explain a bit of the drama that's gone on pre-track action? Yes. So obviously heading into Singapore, we were all expecting the talk to be about the championship, whether Max would seal it. He had to beat Leclerc by 22 points and Perez by 13. But it was about the cost cap and how two teams have allegedly breached it last season, those teams being Red Bull and Aston Martin. Now... (laughs) Obviously, we all know that Max won. And going into Abu Dhabi last year, Verstappen and Hamilton were equal on points. But now there's this whole speculation about whether Red Bull will be disqualified from the championship last year, have points deducted from the drivers and constructors, have a suspension of some kind, depending on how much that they breached it. I think it's less than 5% is classed as a minor breach, but over 5% is a major breach, which could see them be excluded from the championship. The result has not been confirmed yet. That is coming out on Wednesday, but that was definitely the talking point of the paddock over the weekend. Sam, do you think that when the talking point in the paddock over the weekend is uh, you know, a 5% cost cap breach, that maybe we're struggling to find things to talk about in F1? Yeah, I, I don't actually. I think it is a no. There's no smoke without fire situation, and it is uh, it is obviously an alleged breach. We do not know for certain, and there is a very very good chance that come Wednesday, when the certification is you know provided to the teams for you know the cost cap for 2021, that there'll be no one who has uh, surpassed that limit. But if it is, if these rumours are true. I think that is a pretty serious um, and flagrant kind of circumventing of the rules. Offense, yeah, yeah. 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 It's it's let's let's let, let's not mince words here. Uh, I say as I say, let's let's let's. It's cheating. <laughs> it it is cheating. It is. It is, it is cheating. Um, you know, many fans don't care about the cost cap, probably don't even know about it. But those of us passionate F1 fans, we know about it. We've got our opinions. James, do you think it's starting to hinder the sport? Do you think it's sort of holding it back in any way? I mean, it's it's the kind of stuff that's been going on for years and years. It's the, you know, F1 is arguably about as much off track as it is on track half the time. And yeah, last year was extreme and having a, a lot of both. Uh, but in the less dramatic title fights, it seems, you know, there will always be drama within the paddock and and this is this year's, even if it might be about last year and this year and next year. Absolutely. Sorry, go on, Sam. Well, I was going to say, that, that's the crux of the issue as well, isn't it? It's not just the 2021 championship that is therefore tainted because you're always spending money for next year or the year after. And especially when rule changes come in and the cost cap will potentially hold those gaps that do tend to shrink over time time over the course of a regulation life cycle they the cost cap may hold those gaps uh, more kind of stringently in performance it is a big deal because it has an effect on this year and it will have therefore an effect on next year and so on and so forth so when you're looking at what the potential penalties for any breach might be 
I think a they need to be harsh because I think they are a serious you know disregard for the rules, but also if everyone kind of waves this way, there's integrity and credibility that is lost there. Which regards to the cost cap specifically, I then don't think the sport can walk back. I think you essentially lose the effectiveness of the cost cap moving forward. It's very much not what F1 needs right now. Is it still kind of trying to recover from you know, the huge controversy at the end of last year to then, yeah, like you say, further taint? I, I don't like that's a, a word that sets people off in in the more toxic sections of the fans and of the fandom. But yeah, uh, it's it's not what we need right now for the sport. Uh, just to you know, on a slightly lighter note, my, I think my favourite part of of all this drama this weekend was basically basically a measuring contest between Toto and Christian Horner. <laughs> yes, as to who had fired the most people over the winter. You know, <laughs> Toto was coming out and saying, you know, it's it's a really serious thing. We had to let forty people go, and Christian was like, "Well, we let double that many people go." And it's like it's, you know, they'll find things to argue about to their grave, won't they? It's proper late stage capitalism, isn't it? It's like, well, actually, yeah. no, I'm I'm a worse boss. <laughs> feel sorry for me feel sorry for me yeah oh all these people i had to uh, lay off i'm crying let me write a linkedin post ferrari have obviously said this is a very serious offense if it's true right it, 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 it they need to take it very seriously and impose let me find maximum penalties um obviously they're going to say that but the things they can do is um if it is a breach they can find them they can deduct points um, and even go as far as exclusion from the championship. We really don't need that happening, do we? No, we don't. Particularly in the context of Abu Dhabi. It would be chaos. I did read up on the regulations, the financial regulations of F1. I got to page four and realised I didn't understand much of it, so gave up. However, it's not a quick process. The, the regulations are extremely complicated, even in the way that they transfer currencies. Just laughing at the, the, the idea of Ollie sitting down <laughs> to read four pages of financial regulations. Mate, it wasn't four pages. It's it's in the 30s, 40 pages. I got to page three, though. That, that, come on, man. Get, I didn't give you've up only ever got, you've, you've only ever got to page three. That's yeah. <laughs> <laughs> low-hanging fruit right there. There you go. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I'm sure it's incredibly complicated. Uh, we can only imagine how the teams will mask it. You know, they, they, you know, it's the whole thing of give them 10, they'll go to 11, and it's always the case. But nine months after the fact, at the point where, where we're now questioning whether it had an effect on last year's championship... I don't know, they they didn't have a lot to do over the winter. They were busy trying to claim that nothing happened. Could they not have done it then? I mean, it's who was it? Who, who was it, James, who, who brought this to attention? I actually don't know that part. Because it was alleged. Oh, well, I think it was it was Amos, wasn't it, that mm. released the first article, I believe, who obviously uh, I think are occasionally accused of being a little kind of Mercedes-focused, being a, a German website but and what, um, what's their full name on again james automotor and sport i believe oh fair i'm impressed how you just had that yeah. to hand yeah you know i thought you were gonna I'll bring it on through that <laughs> better better publications and news sources are available <laughs> um abby anything else happened I, I i don't think i want to talk about the cost cap anymore it's it's not particularly exciting i don't think there was anything major just 
that Latifi was obviously this was obviously Latifi's last Singapore Grand Prix with Williams and then there was the talk about Gasly moving to Alpine I know Sky Sports mentioned that across the weekend and then some teams were bringing upgrades I think AlphaTauri had brought a new front wing and then McLaren had brought upgrades on only Lando's car not Daniel's but I think that was pretty much it and it was Alonso's 350th race start and actually on Alpine they brought a new floor which was rumoured to be worth half a second per lap we didn't get to see that but we'll get yeah. on to why soon <laughs> I think for the most part it was it was news about news that might happen this weekend so and you know listen to our news show and hopefully it'll actually be out by then some of it maybe yeah. and a, a couple more driver confirmations for next year Yuki and Joe both being confirmed which starts to clearer paint the picture of who might find themselves onto the grid next year clearer paint a picture yeah I was about to say Sam at least I can read financial (laughs) regulations man yeah (laughs) and I can just I can barely read Um, (laughs) I'm glad you're our editor-in-chief Sam that's great news artistic (laughs) licence um all right, let's do our, our race ratings. Let's just base it on the weekend like we normally do. Singapore. I personally love Singapore. I've always thought it's an exciting Grand Prix. It's under the lights. It's it, it's tight, twisty. Um, okay, there might not be that much action, but it's a nice Grand Prix. It looks good. Sam, how did you... What would you rate this weekend and the race out of 10? It's difficult. I thought it was a pretty good weekend overall. I personally quite enjoyed the drama off track. Um even if it does have significant consequences, potentially. Um, I thought qualifying was really good. Really enjoyed that. Yeah, practice is always quite interesting because with the day-night split and also rain, getting representative running is quite difficult. And then the race was definitely a tale of two halves. Uh, I was most certainly falling asleep in the first half, but it really came alive. So, you know, I thought overall the weekend was pretty good. I th- I'm going to give it, you know, a seven out of ten. Well, okay, cool. Um, James, how would you rate this? Well, yeah, qualifying was definitely a nine. I mean, that was pretty close to as good as qualifying gets. You know, late drama, drying track, uh, the timing's going mad in the last few seconds, let alone minutes, and then Max peeling away inexplicably, losing out on pole. It was properly dramatic. And yeah, hard to disagree with with Sam. I mean, it was it was simultaneously a really bad and quite good race. It was dull. There was, you know, there was, there was the potential of stuff happening, but it kind of never really did. It was an acid test, a real acid test for these regulations. And it, to be honest, it kind of failed. Mm, no one you, really you, passed anyone. I'll give it a six and a half. Pessimist. You, you've put that quite well, actually. Um, Abby? Um, the whole weekend was good. It had a bit of everything. On-track drama, off-track drama, throwing the weather, the national anthem, driver news, everything. It was quite good. The race, I have to agree with the guys, though. It, I did find the beginning of it a bit boring, and then later on it did spice up a bit and we got more action. So I'm going to give it a seven like Sam. I would say... It wasn't really racing. It was just a bit of drama. It, it, it wasn't great racing, was it? It wasn't, you know, what we define motorsport as. Sam? It, it often isn't, though, in Singapore. Mm. That's, it's, it's the nature of the beast. You get races like this that are not necessarily about 
the on-track action or overtaking. Although in 2019, when we last raced here, there was 46 on-track overtakes, which doesn't sound too bad. I think the year before, before they added a DRS, a third DRS zone, they had five or something like that. So you can see the kind of quality of races you can get. But I think for me, it's the physical challenge for the drivers. Okay. It is a two-hour race in really hot, humid conditions. It's grueling. It is. And I, I will give this a, I'll give it a seven. Um, and let's talk about why. So practice, any key call outs from practice? I will hold my hands up, guys. I'm an honest person. I didn't watch practice. I think Sam kind of covered it. Yeah. I mean, FP1 was dry and Mercedes looked to have genuine pace. Uh, FP2 was wet and people kind of didn't really do much for a lot of it and then came out towards the end and Mercedes very much didn't have pace. And then FP3, I can't really remember. <laughs> no, I think FP3, I think FP3 was wet. I did the session report. FP3 was the uh, one that yeah, we yeah, only had so. half an hour running. FP2 was the night, was the representative night session. Yeah, and that was it. The Ferraris jumped to the top. but Charles Leclerc, though, had issues throughout the first two sessions, which was kind of plaguing his preparations. But it didn't seem to matter because he was immediately quick when he did get there over those first couple of sessions. Uh, and yeah, I think the third practice session was basically just a precursor for qualifying, everyone just kind of getting used to the conditions. Yeah, it was almost preparing if we had a wet race, I think, sort of Q3 was, was setting us up for that. I just want to say in FP1, it was the first practice session that Hamilton has led this season. And then FP2 also saw Gasly's car catch fire in the pits due to a fuel breather, which I like. I would like to know that what that is, but I'm not entirely sure. But his car caught fire, but they managed to put it out. If you want to understand what a fuel breather is and how it happened, uh, James is going to tell you. Go on FormulaNerds.com and find the article written about it. Right. Um, like we've said, qualifying was uh, very exciting qualifying, which is what we would expect from this circuit because it's a tight, tricky circuit um, and where you qualify is everything. Um, Q1 saw Bottas out, Ricardo out, Ocon out, Albon out and guess who? Latifi. <laughs> no, man, the myth. <laughs> yeah, he had to keep that record going. Um, anything to talk about in Q1, guys? It's a bit of a shocker for Ocon, wasn't it? Um, you know, with that Alpine upgrade that was apparently worth half a second. Shock on. <laughs> Sorry. Or in the race, uh, Ockoff. Anyway. Um, but it was... It was wet. They were on intermediates, but it started to dry out as we went into uh, Q2. But it was a question of, should we put slicks on or not? Abby, do you want to highlight Q2 for us? All drivers remained on intermediates at that time. We saw Schumacher have a struggle come to a stop at turn eight and then Ferrari pitted on new inters despite Leclerc asking to go on to slicks. And then what, who we saw out, we saw Russell out by one six, by six one thousandths of a second, which I was quite shocked that he was out in Q2 because he this season he's had quite a strong performance. But quality doesn't seem to be Mercedes' strong point. We saw Stroll, Schumacher, Vettel and Joe out as well. So apparently George had uh, an issue with drivability, isn't it? Like, or 
well, clearly pushed into the. <laughs> <laughs> um, he was being pushed into the corners apparently by the engine. Toto said the car let him down, but he, to be fair, he looked like he had been struggling all weekend compared to Lewis. He did, and, and Lewis in P two. I was looking at those two, thinking, right, okay, this is this is very strange. So clearly there was an issue with George. He's, he's been reliable all season, but yes, unbelievable. He was out in uh, Q two. So it was a spectacular shootout for pole position going into Q3. James, what was, uh, why did you love it so much? I mean, yeah, it's it's exactly what you want. It's the perfect Q3, starting wet, getting drier. I think it was Sonoda and Magnussen risking it on, well, risking it, staying on the inters whilst everyone else went out on the dry tyres. And I mean, initially it looked like it may not be ready yet because Max produced a lap that was over a second, almost two seconds slower than Sonoda. And then out of nowhere, Lewis produced a lap that was two seconds quicker than anyone else. And he stayed at that level for a couple of runs. And then it seems like everyone else is, which is bizarre considering, you know, the, the problems Mercedes have with tyre warm up. But yeah, everyone else caught up. And then it was just times dropping left, right and centre. I mean, Alonso was on pole, provisional pole for a minute, and then Charles, and then I think Perez may have got up there. Max twice could have been on pole, but both times aborted the lap, as we know well by now. I think that was the, the general beauty of this qualifying session, was that, yes, the time started to come down as everyone moved to slick tyres, but because it's night and because it's humid, the track didn't really dry out at all. And as Martin Brundle was saying a lot on the on the broadcast, because it's a new surface, the resin and the oils are still kind of very much apparent on the surface of, of the asphalt. So it was quite a slippery circuit uh, or track surface uh, uh, throughout the session. And you only actually saw kind of five lap, the five seconds a lap kind of be taken off the lap time from the start of Q1 to the, the fast runs in Q3, which is not a large delta for, for those different types of tyres. So it was, it was quite interesting from that perspective, I thought. And we have to address it. Um, Max Verstappen qualified Q, uh, P8, sorry. And he wasn't very happy about it. What did you guys make of this team radio? Sam, do you think that was a professional racing driver reaction to what happened? Or do you think it was fair he was showing his emotion? I mean, evidently it was the a professional racing driver reaction to it. Um, <laughs> we, we've seen this time and again from Max. Um I'm torn between loving it and hating it as a reaction. I love that he has the title all but wrapped up and, you know, it's just going to go on for another week and I imagine he'll, he'll, you know, clinch the title in Japan. But the fact that he cares that much every single time he gets in the car, I think is, is brilliant. Does he cross the line sometimes? Yeah, maybe he does. Uh, but there was a perfectly valid explanation as to why these mistakes happen. So, yeah, I don't know. It was, it was difficult. He really did lose it, though, didn't he? James, do you think it's a sign that even Red Bull dominance doesn't matter? Everyone can make mistakes? Yeah, I mean, Red Bull have been near flawless for most of the season now, and it was almost refreshing to see them make a mistake and it not be Ferrari for once. But, yeah, I, I think Max, yeah, I mean, like Sam says, it's with the emotion... You know, the, the adrenaline of that situation between the walls on a wet track at the very crux of qualifying. And I mean, they, they really did mess up. Like you put yourself in Max's shoes and he's nailed two laps, basically. I mean, he made a slight error on the, the chicane on the penultimate one, but it still would have been a pole up, pretty sure. And 
then you get told to abort one and then you get told that their decision to abort that lap was a mistake and you don't get to finish the next one. It's like, that's really frustrating. Yeah, and, you know, F1 drivers must trust their teams. If you're told to do something, you do it. But for Max, he's done what he's been told and it's bit him in the arse. This is, again, going to repeat throughout the weekend with tyres. But, um, Abby, what's your view on this? Because, um, I mean, it was rude, but he should be annoyed. Yeah, he did use a few curse words and that, but, like... He's the defending world champion. He's racing in F1, the pinnacle of motorsport. You're in a high-pressure situation. You're not going to go, okay, can you just tell me why I need to abort this lap? You are going to curse and like scream and shout down the radio. But at the same time, it it could have been seen as too much because it is a family sport, but then I do get why he did it. And Horner admitted that, yes, aborting the lap and starting P8 isn't what they want, but at the end of the day, that's better than starting from the pit lane. But I was surprised that Red Bull had made that error because I wasn't expecting them to make a mistake this weekend. I was expecting Ferrari's string of mistakes to continue, but it was Red Bull. I think ultimately for Max, part of that reaction was born out of the fact that he made a mistake on the previous lap and decided to abort the previous lap himself, even though that previous lap still would have got him higher than eighth. He may well have been in the midst of you know the first couple of rows. Did he definitely? I've seen like contrasting reports on this uh, where people said that he was told to back off by GP because they, for a final one, yeah, because they they were trying right. to cre- increase the the gap to Gasly. Uh, I did see BBC say that he chose to do it, and then I saw someone else have with the transcript saying. <laughs> so it's yeah, who knows? I I did see, and I thought it was a joke. Someone was suggesting that Helmut Marco had blamed Pierre Gasly for the whole thing. And I thought that is <laughs> like, surely this is a parody at this point, And he's just taking a mick out of himself. Like how, how on earth is any of this Pierre Gasly fault? Yeah. He, he locks up and got slightly in the way at one point in qualifying. It's because like, he out-qualified him, right? I mean, he did. He did. Just a, just a quick question, Abby. You said this is a family sport, right? There's a lot of team radio we don't hear because it's filtered, it shouldn't be broadcasted, right? Or it's or it's boring. Um, I'm surprised F1 played this audio out. Why did they do this? Do you think it was for drama, possibly? Yeah, I mean, they did they did bleep over the swear words, which is okay, because then you're not actually hearing them. Yeah, and uh, they don't get sued for uh, watershed breaches, yeah. but yeah. But yeah, at the end of the day, it is, if you see... Max get really irate and angry over a decision his team made that you're not going to go okay like that's something you're going to remember if you hear what he actually says so yeah drama they're also well aware that this is what makes the sport popular people want personalities and Max Verstappen is the fiery bad boy so you're going to play to your audience Fiery bad boy. God, I wish someone would call me that. That's a cool title, Sam. You'd have to be a a flavour bad boy for someone to call you that. Uh, Yeah, and you wouldn't read financial regulations of F1. Anyway, um, (laughs) before we get into the race, we are going to give our short national anthem review. I will start today. It was a five out of ten. It was a little boring, but it was produced very well. You could hear the person singing, and I thought the band was good, but it wasn't... the, The Singapore national anthem isn't very exciting no it's not very memorable uh yeah the production was on point those harmonies were crystal clear uh but it was it did sound a bit like uh the end of uh a disney film if anything what was your rating james sorry 
Oh, uh, five and a half. Well, you didn't enjoy that much then. <laughs> Sam? <laughs> oh, just that was the crispest chef's kiss ever. I know, I felt that, it. That was really, really a thing of beauty. Can we like snip, snip it that and keep it on hand? Um, I, I don't think you can necessarily blame the um, people involved for whether or not the anthem is boring or not. I thought the execution was very, very good. I also liked the ju- thank you, the juxtaposition between all the music that was playing beforehand, which was actually kind of disrupting Sky Sports broadcast <laughs> to a certain degree, and it just fell silent. And then you had this this anthem, so that was really kind of you know that I thought that worked as well. And it was quite aesthetically, not aesthetically, aesthetically yeah. <laughs> auditory. The, the mise en scene of the. The whole thing was 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 good. Sam, you were actually at the Italian Grand Prix. Could you hear it when you were there? Because we couldn't hear it on TV. No, and also I was at ha- halfway through at the bar. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I can't remember what I was, but I was essentially in my porter cabin in the media suite. Uh, porter cabin, F2, media F3. suite, same thing. Cool, um, lovely. It was yeah. Um, okay. Uh, Abby, finish us off. National Anthem rating. I'm going to give it a 5 out of 10. Because, like you all said, the execution was great, but it kind of just sounded like a lullaby to me. So it was a bit, yeah. I didn't give it a rating. 7 out of 10. I know, because you were waffling on, so I had to move on. (laughs) 7 out of 10. Okay, cool. Right. We're going to now talk about the race. So it rained in Singapore. Sam, you don't look happy about this whatsoever. What's your take on the hour delay when potentially we didn't need it? Well, exactly that. We didn't need it. I I, I, th- I think, to be fair, to give credit to the FI, it's very difficult to predict what the weather will do. You know, seemingly in places like Singapore, near the tropics, weather is much more random so you can't say right we're going to start all the procedures at this time when it is still raining on the hope that it will stop raining so therefore they have to play it conservatively and they push the whole sequence back what they did do well though is not start the kind of three hour window clock from 8 p.m local time which when was when the race was meant to start they delayed that to the actual start which was eventually 905 but it seems a little bit like, and actually Bridge Kisby, who used to be of Formula Nerds, uh, put it quite well on on Twitter when he said that previously F1 has followed no procedures and been vilified for it. And this time they followed every single procedure and it still went wrong. So clearly there's something that they need to look at to to streamline this process and, and not have such massive delays. And it's the whole kind of, you'll have an update in 15 minutes. And the update in 15 minutes is you've got an update in another 15 minutes. That's, I think, the frustration. And the guys on the broadcast are just left there trying to fill for an hour. Yeah, it's, I was going to say, is it just me or does it feel really convoluted now what the actual rules are? Like in the wake of Belgium, they changed things. Well, initially in the wake of Canada 2011, they changed things. But it's like it was four hours and two hours and now it's three hours and two hours. But they just they start it when they want, even though everyone seems to be under the impression of, yeah, the, the broadcasters that that three hours is going to start 
at the point when the race should start and then it doesn't and no one really understands like why do they even have these time limits at this point like if they can move them i guess it's down to coverage and, and broadcasting rights and stuff mm-hmm. but yeah i like, no one seems to be any the wiser now what the actual limits are clearly the biggest problem is that they can't seem to predict or decide when to start so that you would start on wet conditions with the full extreme wet tires because we again have had this scenario of they've delayed it so long that everyone starts in inters. Like surely that just says we've left it too long. Yes, the cars are more difficult to run in work conditions than they previously were. Yes, there's safety elements to it. But we've now actually found ourselves at a point where you cannot run in work conditions at all, basically, without it being a session being red flagged. There are reasons why NASCAR, for example, don't race in red in wet conditions it's because it's incredibly difficult and dangerous on an oval circuit but f1 i think it's actually a in in an integral variable to the racing is the unpredictability of weather mm. so you're losing an element there and wet races are the most exciting races beginning the start procedure was the cause of the delay however shouldn't they just be ready to start as soon as it stops raining that, that that's that's what's baffling me however i did hear an interesting opinion uh, abby i want your view that this is because of the cost cap and they don't want to race in the wet i mean the wet causes more drama and potentially more incidents and retirements i mean we saw quite a few today um so that could be it. But I, I think it's just difficult to measure like the level of danger that the rain like gives because there were some scenes where the rain was like really, really heavy. And I had the view of that is too dangerous for an F1 car to drive in that situation. But then you can't keep going, going, okay, no, we need to delay the start now. We need to delay it even further. We need to delay it even further just because you think that it's too bad. Um I don't think it was that is down to the cost cap, but it's a very interesting opinion. There could be some truth to it, I guess. Mm. I, you don't want to race because everyone will run out of money and then they'll blame the FIA for racing. But one of the best ways I think that F1 have dealt with this was with Max, well, sorry, was in the Brazilian Grand Prix where it was delayed I don't know how many hours. The, the famous one where Max Verstappen did his masterclass. Sam, what year was it? I'm going to say 2016 in terms Correct. of going to tell me I'm wrong. Correct. Oh, I'm right. Oh, you are right. Brilliant. But they they raced when they could and stopped when they couldn't. What? Why, why are we suddenly struggling with that? Sam? Bring back Michael Massey. I, I, I don't know. In all seriousness, I don't know. That was Charlie Whiting time, wasn't it? It was. Mm. Which okay. just, yeah, makes my comment even more stupid. All right. Well, we were going to talk about the race, and now we've talked about the, the not race. So, James, talk, talk us through the start of the race. Well, yeah, I mean, once we did get going, like you said, everyone was on inters. Uh, but, yeah, interestingly, the, the the cars on the supposedly better side of the track, being Charles and Lewis, got away worse than uh, Checo and Carlos on what is not the racing line. I don't know if that was anything to do with camber or what was slippery, because all the reaction times looked, the same and then Charles and Lewis just stood still whilst the others went past him uh, which yeah obviously put Checo in the lead uh, it got a little bit messy behind and further on the lap we had Alex Albon pointing in the wrong direction going back towards the escape road but for the most part everyone managed to get through pretty much unscathed Max though 
didn't get a great start. True. One of the very few. Uh, it seemed like he kind of bogged down. I think Christian Horner was saying he hit an anti-stall button or something. You know, there was something off in his setup, which severely hampered his early progress. Uh, we kind of were expecting him to be P2 by the end of the third lap, uh, but fell back to what, P13 or so. And then he got in a fight with uh, Kevin Magnussen as is K-Mag's MO for early early parts of the race. Lap one, try and pick up a black and orange flag as quickly as possible challenge. And Lewis was complaining about tyres pretty much straight away. And at the time, right, I was sitting there thinking, well, what else are you going to do? You're an intermediate. Um, what do you guys think he was actually hinting at? My understanding of it is that he wanted to go on to used inters as opposed to fresh inters because they have less of a tread, would wear down even quicker, and would, I guess, just be more in sync with the evolution of the track. Uh, well, I thought, I thought that it was he wanted to go on full wets, use them at the start of the Grand Prix, wear it down, and then they would essentially be like inters. I thought, I thought that's what it was. No, I think there was some confusion as to clearly, was, yeah, clearly we have confusion B. as well. <laughs> um, either way, he well, he wasn't happy, was he? Uh, no. And you've got a good example of a team kind of overriding their driver there. Mm. And Lewis again saying, I told you, I'm right all the time. So Latifi caused some drama, Sam? He did. He, uh, in the words of Zhou Guan Yu himself, squished him into the wall, uh, which I thought was a really cute way of putting it. Uh, yeah, it wasn't wasn't a great moment. Latifi claims he didn't see him, uh, which isn't, to be blunt, really good enough. He just drove him straight into the side of T4 or 5. Yeah, turn five, uh, which ended Joe's race, also ended Latifi's race when he came back round to to pit. There was too much damage and he couldn't continue. And it has also landed Latifi a five-place grid penalty for the Japanese Grand Prix next week. So we'll go from 20th to 20th. 20th. Yeah. <laughs> I, I thought so, that was someone's, rid- some, ridiculous. Someone's been, on, someone's been on Twitter or Reddit. It, yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty silly that. They, they should have done a final something, right? Because it's not a penalty, is it? Latifi, do you think he's signed out now? Abby, do you think he's just gone, I'm not that bothered anymore? Because it, it was sloppy driving, like Sam said. Um, yeah, I think... I think, like, saying I didn't see him, yes, that may be true, and, like, that could be correct, but at the same time, it's... I don't know. It's not a very strong excuse in my opinion um but yeah he's lost his seat with Williams I don't he's not gonna be on the grid next season so I think he's just not given up but like okay well I've done my best this is that well he's not doing any better or worse is he true Verstappen wasn't on form today and the other person who wasn't on form was Lewis Hamilton rare mistakes James what's your what's your take on that well, yeah I mean this weekend uh, but particularly as the, uh, on Sunday it was the people you'd probably least expect to be making mistakes were making the most mistakes yeah we had Max obviously with the the getaway uh, the poor getaway and then falling back to 12th and then uh, yeah making a mistake later on which we haven't quite got to yet but yeah Lewis 
having a very messy race as well, making, yeah, uh, locking up and going straight into the barriers. I think, to be honest, getting frustrated, stuck behind behind Carlos for half the race. And then, uh, yeah, an ambitious move, maybe just trying to get something out of it later on and again, giving away a, a place. And also George Russell, very messy race, who has been Mr. Consistency. Yeah, sloppy, unforced errors from both Hamilton and Verstappen today. Uh, absolutely. But I'm glad you mentioned Carlos Sainz because I think, you know, in, t- in terms of underperforming today, let's not let him off scot-free. His pace was just nowhere. He didn't make any mistakes, but he was just... We had, what, four, three full safety cars? And each time he fell circa 10 seconds back behind his teammate in the same car. You yeah. know, the... It, it, I just don't understand where where his pace was. Well, like what was, what's going on? He was basically the the perfect example of surviving the Singapore Grand Prix. He, yeah, like you said, he was like really too slow in a Ferrari, uh, and yet just kept out of the walls and ended up with a podium. Yeah, that's a really good point. Su- surviving the Singapore Grand Prix because you know Lewis made uncharacteristic mistakes. And they were not forced. They were his own mistakes that we don't see from Lewis. I think uh, I was talking to someone. The, the last time we saw this was a 2019 uh, German Grand Prix where Lewis made errors and suffered and it just wasn't him. It's it, it's actually, you could spin this, that science did what he needed to do. Well, I was going to say, actually, could this have been strategic by Ferrari to have science kind of, you know, close up the, or, you know, push the pack back and allow Leclerc to fight Perez one-on-one and remove Verstappen out of the equation, pushing Verstappen so far back into the pack that there was a, a pit stop gap between Perez, Leclerc and Verstappen. Could that be strategic? But surely the better strategy would be to have Saints up there for the essentially the pincer move on Perez. So I don't know, it's an odd one. Yeah, but I was going to say, surely it's, it's that. You're, you're two on one if you've got Carlos say you stop Sergio doing anything clever. And I mean, he didn't need to create a gap to Max. The, the field spread alone had put him over a pit stop back within like five, ten laps. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm just trying mm. to think as a Ferrari You're, you're defending him. <laughs> you're defending him. You are defending him. But it, 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 I think the whole point is... It, Yes, he was not on form, but he finished higher than the others that could have um, done better. He did better than we would have done, let's face it. Yeah, he he certainly (laughs) did, and he did better than two-time world champions. But would you expect in this race Leclerc to have the upper hand on um, Perez? I would have thought a straight-out battle, Leclerc should come out on top. It's not that simple in Singapore. It's, it's difficult to pass and these were difficult conditions and you saw that Charles made a couple of mistakes and actually I think that's credit to how brilliant Perez was today he's had a really difficult run of form recently and this is exactly what he needed to kind of show what he could do he was he was brilliant he made no mistakes under the pressure that Charles was putting him under which he did for considerable portions of the race particularly towards the end so I don't think there was much more Charles could have done, other than not make those mistakes. But I don't, mm. I don't, I don't see a way that he would have got past. You, you, you use an interesting word there, Perez, to prove. Um, Abby, should a Red Bull driver need to prove their capability? 
Well, they shouldn't do, but I think the second seat in Red Bull always kind of has to, especially if you're Max Verstappen's teammate. It's A lot of it is focused on Max and then the second driver kind of just supports him. But it was nice to see Perez actually have a good race from the start and hold his own and actually prove, look, I can win races and I can do what Max is doing. I don't need any like funny tricks or whatever. I can actually do it. And it was nice to see. I mean, his average grid position, uh, sorry, his average finishing position this year is fourth. James, I, I, I feel like, yeah, he has proved himself today, but he's not doing well enough, is he? Well, yeah, I mean, this has been well covered in recent weeks. I think he he had a really strong start to the season. He was up there, right right there with Max. And then the development seemingly have, have kind of taken it away from him. Um, you know, you, you get some people saying they're... they're developing towards Max's references. And I mean, to be honest, you're going to, because he's, he's number one driver, he's the world champion. Uh, But yeah, I think, I think if we're learning anything from Checo's time at Red Bull, it's that he needs the car where he wants it. He's got a bit of a, and I say this as a a Fissy Keller fan in my childhood, he's got a bit of a Fissy Keller vibe where he does great in a midfield team, but right in the top team, he's just, he's, he's not quite there with the very best. that's reminded me of that clip from I think it's the 2006 Australian Grand Prix where Fissy's engineer comes on and goes come on Fissy you're two seconds a lap slower than Fernando this cannot be possible you're in the same car which is just brutal to have someone say that to you over the team radio but I think it's a really fair point you've made there Fissy Keller won the 2005 Australian Grand Prix Um, so he did have pace around there yeah yeah, one year he did anyway, yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 he was always second to Alonso, wasn't he? But one other driver, let's get some opinions on Alex Albon. He was obviously seriously unwell, and we've heard the stories um, about him having to be brought back to life after um, a bad reaction during his operation, but um, he was not on form whatsoever today. No, and I think that's understandable, given uh, he's been out of the car for a while didn't race in Monza, has been incredibly ill um, and recovering. So the fact that he even managed to, you know, perform over the weekend says a lot, you know, out-qualified his teammate. And... Wow. Well, I'm, I'm sorry, but, you know, we talk about these big differences between drivers, but even Nicholas Latifi is still a world-class athlete, let's face it. Absolutely. Um, so the fact that the album can, you know, still kind of you know, outperform him, I think probably says more about album than it does Latifi, in my view. Um, but if I were Williams, I would have kept the Vries in the car, in the car. A, to give album more time to, to rest and prepare and get ready for, for Japan, but also just to be absolutely sure that Monza was not a one-off storm in a teacup. You know, because I think that's what a lot of people are saying is that De Vries might actually get a drive next season, be it Williams or AlphaTauri or wherever, you know, wherever else, likely one of those two, off the back of one admittedly brilliant weekend. But you would surely want a mm. bigger, more representative, statistically significant sample to draw upon. I agree with you, and it would have obviously developed him further. Sam, you've said you think he's going to get an F1 seat next year. I'm going to ask you about that in a minute. But um, if we put De Vries in the car for this race, let's be honest, 
it was a tough one. The changing conditions, the the skill set you need, the experience you need, it wouldn't have ended particularly well. James, do you, do you think it would have been... I know we didn't know the conditions when they, this decision was made, but it wouldn't have wouldn't have worked out in his favour, would it? Well, yeah, we we can only hypothesise about how well he would have done. He could have, yeah, succeed. He could have exceeded all expectations again, but uh, yeah, it would have been very much thrown in at the deep end, even if he had had one race to prepare. It's basically a totally different kettle of fish. I don't think it would have gone that badly, actually, for for De Vries. I think it would have been the right thing to do to put him in the car. But let's face it, these are, as I said, all world-class athletes. They are mm-hmm. exceptional at what they do. And I think actually the vast majority of people, even ordinary people like myself, in a sink or swim situation, generally will find a way to swim. It's survival instincts. And I think put the reason in that situation, I think he actually wouldn't have done too badly. So, I don't know. It's, yeah, we'll never know. Okay, R- rumour mill, quick time. Uh, where, where, where do you think he's going next year? He's going to Alvatari, Sergeant will go to Williams, doing to Haas. You said that that like it's confirmed, yeah. Sam. <laughs> and I, I don't, I don't know anything for, for definite, but that's my, that's that's my, my. That's what some bloke told him at the bar in Belgium. <laughs> hey, it's yeah, more some, than we know. It's random, yeah. No, I, I don't. Know. I've just. I th- the, obviously, the, the doing to Hass is the uh, is the more of the unknown, but I think Alpine will find a way to get him on the grid. I don't think they'll let the Piastri mistakes from earlier in the season uh, reoccur. So I don't know. I think it it could work, and it'd certainly be a better better option than Jovanazzi or Hulkenberg. And I think realistically, it seems like Schumacher isn't all that interested in being um, part of the Hass setup um, and is pushing for a move elsewhere. Who knows? And also, it seems like Ricardo can't make up his mind, um, as suggested by Gunter Steiner earlier in the weekend. So that's my basically my workings out of who's going where. So we'll have to see. There we have it. Um, we had six retirements, a uh, lot of retirements, but it was George Russell who finished uh, last on track. Uh, Abby, what did you think of his day? Obviously, it wasn't great, but uh, bit of a shambles, really, wasn't it? Yeah, it didn't quite go to plan obviously he started from the pit lane because he took a new component of the car I believe um and obviously he went when he was out in Q2 and he did have a couple of mishaps through the race he had contact with Bottas at one point and then contact with Schumacher which then gave him a puncture as well but I think he I think he managed it well yes he didn't like he didn't get in the points but he managed to get the fastest lap. He was the first one who decided to go on to slicks and actually brave those tyres and stick it out even when he was saying, I've got no grip. And Mercedes were like, are you sure you want to be on these tyres? I think it was a commendable drive from Russell, but obviously it's not up to par with how we have seen him throughout the season so far. So it was um, a... Difficult day for Lewis Hamilton, as we've said, making mistakes, but also Verstappen. James, what, what, what do you think went wrong when he flat-spotted his tyres and made a, 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 a straight-up mistake? Yeah, um, it's, it's equally, as we've said, rare to see from Max these days, but it was definitely a mistake. He, he says he bottomed out. Uh, he was obviously onto the, the wet stuff on pretty cold, dry tyres, and yeah, I mean, really did lock up 
big time, but at least kept it out the wall and did a pretty nice uh, U-turn to get to get back on. <laughs> Ironically, joining just in front of, of Lewis, who had joined just in front of Max after he went straight on at the same corner. Those two were just inseparable, even a, a year on. But yeah, it was it was a bit messy, as we said, for for Max, along with a few others this weekend. Did either of you think, ah, oh, Max and Lewis are going to have a battle here. This should be good. We might see a little bit of last year again. Sam? Not really, because... He's driving Stappen a different is, car, yeah. <laughs> yeah, Verstappen's <laughs> driving a world-class machine and Lewis Hamilton's driving a, a tugboat. Um, so <laughs> it's, you know, I don't think it's a, a fair kind of uh, match this season like it was last year. Interestingly, though, Norris was told to keep off the bump in turn seven. Yeah, and I don't think he really knew how to do that. He said on the radio, you know, what do you mean? Like, basically, I can't avoid it. Potentially, that's what caused Verstappen to bottoming out. If he caught that bump in the wrong way, that might be part of the issue. But also, at at the restart, he looked so confident and so quick, you know, within five corners, had completely closed that gap up to, to Norris. I think he probably just got overconfident. It was just a mistake. Yep. And one thing I've noticed about the race was you couldn't make an overtake on the straight or it was extremely difficult to. So you had to take those risks and they didn't really pay off. We did, towards the end of the race, have what potentially was a good fight. Leclerc trying to get the win from Perez, but it it, it just didn't seem like he was... He, he was on his pace, but he wasn't prepared to make that dangerous move, was he? It was... Yeah, it was kind of... The same throughout the race. He kind of, in a way, Charles kind of fluttered to deceive in that he kept closing up and you thought, oh, this is it, this is it. And then he'd just fade away again. I don't know if it was tyres, I don't know if it was calculated, him trying to, you know, let things cool down or or heat up potentially in, in the wet. But yeah, it just, it never really got to the point where he was right there where you, he was wheel to wheel or anything. He got right up to the back of him and then he faded away again. And very much so at the end to his cost. And Perez did make mistakes, you know, there, there were a few lockups, um, he was sliding, he, he was fighting. I, I just feel like Leclerc could have, could have got that win. Sam, do, do you see that the same way? Yes, he was on his absolute limit, but so was Perez, clearly. If he had, if he had taken a risk, he could have lost the race, we don't know what would have happened, but do, do you think he, Leclerc did everything he could have done? Well, that's, I think, the important point is if he took the risk and I don't think he was prepared to do so today. So I don't think he could have won the race because, as I said earlier in the show, it's, you know, getting up close to someone and actually passing them are two very, very different things in Singapore. And he ultimately wasn't willing to to make or, or to take that risk. So I don't think he could have. And Perez, through fortune or or knowing when to push and when not to, was making mistakes his lockups or his very, very small errors comparatively in places where you can afford to do so and get away with it. Whereas Leclerc was making mistakes a few corners away from DRS zones and that ultimately was his downfall. He made a big mistake into, I think it was turn 12, um, which culminated in him losing DRS and never really got it back from there. So I think it was maybe more comfortable than, than it looked on TV for Perez I mean it's it's five wins from 18 poles and that's yeah as is well documented that's a lot of them haven't been his fault but 
I don't know. It's getting to the point where you kind of have to to question Charles on a Sunday a bit. I mean, I I love Charles and I, I rate him very highly, but the the numbers are starting to stack up against him a bit. Um, Ferrari, to their credit, tried uh, to do uh, an undercut, which turned out to be basically uh, totally the wrong decision. It was an overcut was the way to go. Leclerc's early stop didn't pay off, and he was six seconds down when he came back on, or when Perez came back out onto the track. I think Ferrari are in a bit of a catch-22 with Leclerc, where I think their indecision and their mistakes are causing indecision and mistakes from from Charles, and vice versa. And they need to break that pattern at some point, because it's clearly not working for either of them. There's doubt in Charles's mind, it looks like, when it comes to these big moments where it's, you know, make or break or you know you, you really need to kind of you know if you want the win you've got to take it and he hasn't seemed prepared to do that and especially today he mm. wasn't willing to stick up the inside and say to Perez like you know are you going to let me through or are we going to crash it, yeah it doesn't seem like the relationship's functional but at the same time Ferrari to win this race needed to needed to take a risk um, which they did it didn't pay off you know we'd be sitting here praising them if that early stop had worked. So I think second was probably the best he could have done. Abby, who who won the race? Who came where? We had Perez win the race after starting P2 and getting the lead straight from the start. Leclerc came, no, he, yeah. Leclerc came in second and then Science joined him in on the podium in P3. And then I'm wearing my Lando Norris t-shirt, but I feel like I should be wearing my actual McLaren hoodie because... Lando Norris finished in fourth and Daniel Ricciardo finished in fifth. So it was a very good result for both McLarens, especially since both Alpines retired from the race and they're their main competitors in the championship. And then in sixth, we had Lance Stroll, who had a very good um, performance for Aston Martin. Then Verstappen in seventh and then Vettel in eighth, who managed to get ahead of Hamilton, who finished ninth. And then Gasly, who rounded out the top ten. And the driver that finished in last had the fastest lap to prevent it going to the other teams. Well done, George. You finished in last, but you prevented a point. So one thing that we do need to talk about, though, is this safety car infringement that Perez has been found guilty of doing twice, which is the whole 10 car lengths behind the safety car rule. So that usually comes with some sort of penalty, and the stewards decided that they'd spotted this infringement twice from Perez and they decided, even with 15 minutes or so on the clock, because this was a race that went the two full hour distance, so it was on the timer, the stewards decided that they wanted to investigate these two infringements after the race, which seemed really, really odd to me. It seemed like there was indecision there from the stewards. They didn't really know if he'd broken the rules or what the correct penalty would be to apply, so they wanted to... Yeah, decide afterwards or let Perez have his say in court. You know, sorry, have his day in court, I think is actually the saying. Um, Which is, again, odd because you don't do that in other sports. But either way, so then went to the stewards after the race and they decided, James, you know what the penalties were. So it was a reprimand for the first incident and two penalty points and five second time penalty for the second, which means Sergio keeps his win by a couple of seconds. Uh, and escapes what could have been, uh, I don't know, it would have been a very anticlimactic end to the Grand Prix. 
And this is what annoys me the most. Ferrari just... I don't know, why would you let Charles then fall seven and a half seconds behind when you know that Perez is being investigated? I'm not Surely. sure they did, Sam. They they gave a sort of a hint over the radio to speed up. Okay, well, uh, maybe okay, maybe it wasn't Ferrari in this case, but either way, Charles slash Ferrari, one of them. If you know that that is coming, you've got to be within five seconds. It's always five seconds that tends to be the penalty given... I guess there was an assumption that there was two infringements, therefore two five-second penalties, 10 seconds, so you're safe. But that easily could have been a win today. And it wasn't because they just, I don't know, one of them couldn't be bothered to stay close enough mm. to Perez. And they could have. They, with only a matter of minutes to go, it was within five seconds. I'm not and sure I agree, quickly, Sam. He would have stuck with him if he could have done. Yeah, James? I think he'd burnt out his tyres. Uh, I think... I think he tried to stay within five and just fell away. Uh, I think the the message late on kind of saying, well, it might be two five-second penalties was just a bit of optimism. Maybe I've said to keep him, just to remind him to be within 10, just in case it was. Uh, I don't think Charles or Ferrari kind of, yeah, switched off and decided let's coast to the finish. I think he would just burn out his tyres trying to get past him earlier on. And ironically, if he just kept his tyres and stayed within five seconds, he apparently would have won. It was it was a shame that all of this happened. It should have been done during the race, and we won't go on about it too much because everyone agrees on that, right? But two mistakes today from F1, the, the extensive delay, and then the podium, we didn't know who had actually won the race at the time. And this happens every now and again, but we've got to solve it, right? Because it's the reason that people go off this sport you, you you watch you invest all your time you spend an extra hour whilst it hasn't started and then you don't even know who's won at the end it's not good is it guys what's your thoughts yeah it's not great it needs to be reviewed it needs to be streamlined that I, I i don't understand why they couldn't have investigated that during the race feels like a pretty simple thing to do um given they have all of this technology and all this data and statistics available to them hmm. uh, at the touch of a button. It seems like an odd one, but again... There, yeah, there, there will be reasons, won't there, Sam? You know, there, there, there will be, right, we didn't have that data available or this, that and the other, but if they could show on a screen exactly how many centimetres drivers are away from each other, they should have figured this one out. It's simple as that. Exactly, and we don't know, the, the we never know the full story, do we? So there's obviously other facts... To, to, to consider there but yeah I mean I think we got the result that we should have got in the end I think Perez was a, a worthy winner so mm. I don't think it's you know too bad all things all things considered Trivia do you can you name another sport where uh, the winner is given a trophy but you don't actually know if they've won or not any of you no. James, I'm hoping you. I'm hoping you. You would be the person to, to know this. Even with the uh, the obscure sports that I occasionally have to to cover on Eurosport, now I've not found one that goes. Here's a trophy. We'll let you know later if you won. Mm-hmm. And that's why there shouldn't be an excuse because I can't think of one either. Anyway, right. Standings. Where are we? Perez will continue uh, in the championship battle. It's unlikely that he'll win it. But Abby, do you want to run us through? Yes. So Max, despite 
not having a particularly good race. He is still in the lead for the championship. It has not been decided this week. It runs over into Japan. Leclerc is still second on 237 points, with Perez behind him on 235 points. So it is very close for second in the championship. George Russell is then in fourth on 203, only one point ahead of Sainz on 202 in fifth. Hamilton is then in sixth on 170 points, whilst Lando Norris is in seventh on 100 points. Ocon and Alonso are then in eighth and ninth respectively. And then Bottas is on 46 points in 10th, rounding out the top 10. And then in the constructors, Red Bull are still leading on 576 points with Ferrari in second on 439 points. Mercedes are then in third on 373 points. And then it's a big jump to fourth. And this has changed following today's race. McLaren are on 129 points, four points more than Alpine, who are now in fifth. Alfa Romeo are in sixth on 52 points, ahead of Aston Martin in seventh on 37 points. Haas are in eighth on 34 points, which is actually equal to Alfa Tauri, who are also on 34 points. And Williams are still in 10th on only six points. So, drivers of the day, before we leave you today, uh, Sam, I'll give it to you first. Thank you. So, we haven't actually talked about this driver at all um, throughout the the podcast so far. And I think that's the kind of... I think it's fitting that we haven't done so because they had a very, very quiet anonymous race, but a brilliant one nevertheless. And that was Lance Stroll. Always goes well in the wet and, you know, came from the mid-pack to P6 in an Aston Martin. So exceptional drive, very quiet, kept his nose clean. Yeah, no notes. No, that's Um, good. I think that's a real race fan answer. Because, you know, there's an obvious driver of the day, but there's the the one that you wouldn't think of. And that, yeah, that's, that's, that's fair. Honourable mention to his teammate as well, Seb Vettel, who put up a sterling defence, uh, first on Lewis, successfully on Lewis, and then less successfully on Verstappen, but still did very, very well to bring that home in P8 um, from even further back than Stroll. Abby? My driver of the day is George Russell, because he... Started from the pits and it was a difficult race, as we all know, but he was the first one to brave it onto slicks and he had a couple of mishaps, a couple of contacts and a puncture. And yes, he finished last, yeah. which isn't very good for him. <laughs> I need to get to the good bit, Abby. James's face is like, yep, I can't wait to but hear why. It's He got the fastest lap. It's a commendable drive. He braved the slicks in the wet weather and he's obviously like Perez did a very good race and as Sam said Aston Martin and McLaren and that but for me George Russell because I thought that it was a very commendable drive I was not expecting that <laughs> I, I, I'm not sure I agree or expected it I, I, I want to say something it, it, that's just like one of those proper like and I know you're not a millennial Abby but that's one of those proper like millennial parent have a participation medal well done you did your best <laughs> and that actually reminds me because Carlos Sides was saying that you're struggling with pace in the race and his engineer came back and just said, just try your best. <laughs> Which you kind of think, in a performance-based industry, uh, try your best doesn't really cut it. But uh, you know what? Credit for for that, because that is also an out-of-the-box answer. And you've thought Thank about you. it. I and did. And you've given other factors there as well. So I, I appreciate I appreciate that. James? Yeah, uh, well, I'll go a bit more straight down the line, I think. 
yeah, Daniel deserves a mention oh, for, for obviously ooh. bringing it from P17 to, to five. And I'm sorry to have stolen your answer, but I'll leave it oh, for no. you and I'll move on. Because uh, if you're going to give it to Daniel, then someone has to give it to Checo. Because like we said, he did everything he needed to on the day where Max wasn't there. And that's what Red Bull hired him for. Well, I was either going to go uh, with uh, Perez or um, Ricardo. Yes, he needed it, but I, uh, it, it's a great performance against obviously everything that he's going through and all his poor performance this year. But Norris still finished ahead. It's, yeah, it's it's still the fact, right? Yeah, but Norris also qualified P six. Again, to my point. <laughs> yeah, so it's you know. Um, but also, obviously, you know, safety cars, obviously, bunch of the pack. But I'm glad someone said Ricardo because I was starting to get worried there that no one would say Ricardo. Well, I thought Abby was going to because she's a McLaren fan, but she she picked she picked Russell. Cool. That's it for today. What's up next week, other than me? Very early. James, are you looking forward to the um, Japanese Grand Prix at Suzuka? I am. It's been a while. It'll be nice to be back there. And yeah, you know, at least it's. I'm at one hour later, a little bit more sociable for me. Abby, do you think anything, um, do you think this will be an exciting race? What's your, what's your hot take? I think it could be. Obviously, all eyes will be on Max and whether he can outperform his teammate and Leclerc for the championship. I think Schumacher has a lot to prove. We saw him defend, like defending for his life, as Russell put it today, because he obviously doesn't have a seat next season yet. But I'm looking forward to it. I think I'll need a lot of coffee to make sure that I stay awake. So hopefully it's an entertaining race to keep me awake. And I'm looking forward to you giving Latifi uh, driver of the day, I assume. <laughs> <laughs> I have just checked, them I've just checked the weather forecast for Suzuka next week and it is currently showing as rain on Sunday. There you go. Brilliant. But that probably means it won't. That is all we've got time for. Sam, where should people go if they want to read F1 news? Probably www.formulanerds.com. And James, Wednesday we've got another show. We do. We'll be back with the news and we might even have some, probably breaking, if anything, about the uh, the budget cap debacle. But yes, we'll be News from Nerds back on Wednesday as ever. Abby, thank you very much for joining us. Always a pleasure. Sam, thank you very much. Never a chore. Oh, he does listen when he's not here. And James. Right, join us again next week for some more. <laughs> we'll see you then. Goodbye. You're listening to the Cut to the Race podcast. It's lights out and away we go. Sports Social Podcast Network.